Well, welcome again to our Catechism class, and today we're looking at Lord's Day 34 and question 92 to question 93. Now, in order to save time on the Catechism class today, and this is quite a long lesson, so what I would like you to do now is to pause the recording, and if you haven't already done so, will you please read the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 1 to verse 17. Now, that's the well-known Ten Commandments. So, if you haven't already read that, just pause the recording right now and come back when you have read the passage, and then we'll begin our Catechism class. Welcome to our Catechism class. It's a weekly look at the Heidelberg Catechism to help you learn Christian doctrine with a warm and practical application. Each lesson has its own study guide, and the web link to find that guide can be found in the episode notes. Okay, let's start the lesson. So we come to Lord's Day 34, question 92, and the Catechist asks his question, What is the law of the Lord? And he answers by giving us a simple recitation of the Ten Commandments, which we should already have read. Those commandments found in Exodus chapter 20. And that brings us to a point where we have to remind ourselves of the of the law and what the purpose of the law is. And the first thing that we see is that the law has three different applications, um, three uses, if you like. So the law convicts us of our sin. The law sets the standard for civil administration of just and proper ordering of society. And the law regulates and governs our Christian lives. So the law convicts us of our sin. Paul in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24 uh, writes these words, with the result that the law has become our tutor and our disciplinarian to guide us to Christ so that we may be justified, that is declared free of the guilt of sin and its penalty and placed in right standing with God by faith. I'm reading there from the Amplified Version of the Bible. And the reason I'm doing that is I want you to notice that there's two ideas being put forward here. That the law is our schoolmaster, as the AV has it, the King James Version. But it's also our disciplinarian. It disciplines us. Now, the Gentiles would have been familiar with the idea of a tutor, um, in Greek society, there would be a tutor who would collect children, escort them to school, and then bring them back home again at the end of the day. And those strict tutors were heavy disciplinarians, for they were responsible for making sure that the children were properly taught. And because most of those tutors would actually have been slaves, they would not fail in their duty. The law, says Paul, is our schoolmaster. It places a heavy burden of learning upon us, a burden that we can never shake off. 
an obligation that we could never hope to fulfill and a debt that we can never hope to pay. And our only hope of fulfilling the law is to run to the one who can pay our debt because we can never fulfill it ourselves. And of course, that's Jesus who paid not just your debt and mine but could pay the debt for the sins of the whole world because he's God's son and he has never sinned. So the law drives us to realise our hopelessness. It disciplines us, it, it convicts us that we are never able to keep it and it drives us to Christ for relief from the burden of sin and the condemnation of the law. So the law convicts us of our sin. The second thing that the law does is it sets a standard for our civil administration for the just and proper ordering of society. Now, in our country, in the United Kingdom, our common law was loosely based on the Ten Commandments. We were, at least nominally, a Christian society. We didn't um, base our law on Sharia law or on the law of the, of the Far East. We based our law on the Judeo-Christian laws that are given to us in the Bible. In many courthouses in America, for example, as well, the Ten Commandments were etched in stone, either inside or outside the building, until a relatively short time ago when secularist lobbies demanded that the separation of church and state required all such uh, scriptures to be removed. Of course, the alternative to common law based on the Decalogue, on the Ten Commandments, would be something like Sharia law. And it's much different than the law that we know in this country. Common law, the standard for civil administration, for the just and proper ordering of society. The basics, that you should honour your parents, that you should not kill, that you should not commit adultery, that you should not steal, that you should not tell lies. All of those things should be found in common law. So the law convicts us of our sin. The law sets the standard for civil administration of justice and the law regulates and governs our Christian law lives. Now it's this application of the law that we're concerned with here. Reformed churches always have placed this as the third use of the law, but Lutherans give it more prominence. They place it as the very first and primary use. It is the supreme standard for every Christian. Reading the Ten Commandments shows us how God expects us to live if we ever want to be obedient followers of Christ. It's the benchmark of obedience for which every Christian must strive. The problem is, will we ever achieve perfect obedience to the law? Well, absolutely not in this life. I remember causing great consternation in church one Sunday morning when I was preaching and I told the congregation that no one can hope to fulfill the commandments in this life for we're all sinners who fall short of God's standards 
and I admitted to them publicly that I know that I can't keep the Ten Commandments perfectly, and that I fall down and I make mistakes, and I sin and I have to repent. And I could actually hear the gasps of horror from some of the good people who were sitting in the pews. I could see the shock on their faces. They're turning and they're looking at each other with this amazed look. Our minister breaks the commandments. How awful is that? But you see, none of us can keep them perfectly. It is what we strive for. It is our goal. It is what we hope to achieve, even though we know that we can't. So the law has these three great uses, three primary applications of the law. The law convicts us of our sin. The law sets the standard for civil administration of justice. And the law regulates and governs our Christian lives. But just as there's three applications of the law, there are three aspects of the law, if you like. The law, of course, that we're talking about here is more than the Ten Commandments. The law is encased and enshrined in the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. And the Jews refer to that set of five books as the Torah. And the Torah contains three different types of law. There was the law that regulated the religion of ancient Israel. So you'll read in Leviticus about how sacrifices are to be carried out, how rituals and rites are to be observed, how the tabernacle in the wilderness is to be built. Um, All of that stuff was regulated by the law. And all of those things, in essence, pointed towards something that was still to come, pointed towards the Messiah. All of the colours in the tabernacle, all of the ropes and the sheets, all of the uh, ceremonies that took place, all pointed to the coming of the one who would be Israel's Redeemer, the Lord Jesus. Then there's the civic laws. You see, in Egypt, the people of God had lived under the root of the Egyptians. And that was a vicious and a cruel rule. And so when the Hebrews left Egypt at the Exodus, society needed to be organised and ordered. A law had to be given and God gave them aspects of the Torah which simply referred to the daily political and legal governance of the nation of Israel. Now that ancient Israel no longer exists. And those laws have been fulfilled and uh, have been fulfilled in Christ. So the religious laws, the civic laws, the moral law, and that's of course what we must concentrate on. The moral law which is encompassed in the Ten Commandments and summarized in that Decalogue. They, like the rest of the Torah, they were all fulfilled in Christ, but the moral law is not abolished. Um, God did not send his son uh, to uh, give us a get-out-of-jail-free card. The moral law is still God's standard, and we are obliged to live by it. So all of the law has been fulfilled in Christ, and in his death, and in his resurrection, he has abolished the religious and the civic laws, For the tabernacle, the temple, the religious sacrifices, the Passover, etc. They have all been fulfilled in him. They are no longer required. The book of Hebrews teaches us that. 
The civic nation of Israel is no more in the Old Testament sense, but the moral law also fulfilled in Christ has not been abolished. The moral law is God's standard for every man, woman and child. For example, the teaching of the law on homosexuality is repeated in the New Testament. It has not been abolished. It does not simply consist in a few verses in Leviticus, but it is taught consistently in the New Testament as well. It has not been abolished. It was fulfilled in Christ, but it still applies to society and to Christians today. So our code of ethics and behaviour is still summarised in the Ten Commandments. Now you can see that it is the job of the Christian pastor or teacher or preacher. I believe also the job of every believer to study, to exercise discernment, to properly understand the biblical text so as to determine which aspects of the law have been abolished in the death of Christ and which are still applicable. That's one of the reasons why non-Christians ask stupid questions. Like, how come you people can eat shellfish, but you can't marry a person of the same sex? Well, because those refer to different aspects of the law. So what happens when we break the law? And the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments are given as God's gold standard and none of us can keep them. When the unbeliever breaks the law, no matter how good that unbeliever may be, no matter how decent and how well thought of that person may be, no no matter how morally upright that person may be, when they break the law, even in one tiny point, they break all of the law. In James chapter 2 and verse 10, he says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, has become guilty of all of it. So you might have someone who has lived a fairly moral life and has done their best to do no one any harm, but yet they may, at one time in their life, have told a little white lie. They may have been envious of their neighbour. They may have at some stage given back cheek to their father and mother as a child, thus not honouring their father and mother. They may not have stolen anything, but what if they have uh, sneaked off from work early some day, stolen some time off their employer? The person who keeps the whole law but fails in just one little part is guilty of breaking all of it. And if such person has never known the forgiveness of sins, then the law condemns us before God and condemns us so thoroughly that we cannot even answer back. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 19, Paul writes these words. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. People will say to you sometimes, you know, when I get before God and I stand before him, I'll give him a piece of my mind. 
and I'll bring up the subject of all the wee children who have died in childhood, and all the wars and all the pestilence, and I'll bring up about earthquakes and tsunamis and people who have died in natural disasters, and I'll ask him who does he think he is judging me. Well, you know you won't. Because when you stand before God, the condemnation and conviction of sin will be so heavy upon you that you will not even be able to open your mouth in the presence of such a holy God. We're sinners, and the wages of sin is death, and we have no hope in eternity without Christ. But what about the Christian believer? I've already said that the law for the Christian believer is what we aim for, what we hope to achieve, how we govern our lives, how we, our gold standard for our moral behaviour and our Christian behaviour. But what when we sin? What about when we break the law of God? Well, the first thing that you do is you don't look for loopholes, that's for sure. No point in trying to make excuses. If you sin, you have to admit it. And you will admit it because when a Christian truly saved sins, they will hit that sin. Uh, recently I read a book which described life among the ultra-Orthodox Hasidic Jews in New York. Now these are people who try to keep the law, who try to live by the Torah in the hope that by their works they can please God. And their rabbis interpreted and applied the law for them, telling them what to do, telling them how to live. Um, but if you had a really good rabbi, one who was well versed in the Mishnah and the Talmud, he could sift through the law and he could find loopholes so that people could break the law without breaking the law. Now that's not the way of the Christian. When God demands our obedience, we do not look for loopholes to find a way out of our obligation or whatever he wants us to do. We want to obey the Lord and it grieves us and it saddens us when our human imperfection prevents us from giving him the obedience we ought to give. So when the Christian believer breaks God's law, we acknowledge our transgressions before God and we repent like David did in Psalm 51 when he says, Have mercy upon me, O God. According to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions. And my sin is always before me against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. So there are three applications of the law, three uses of it. And in order to understand the law properly, we have to understand that there are different aspects of it. Three different aspects. Uh, but there are only two tables of the law. And it is to these two tables that our instructor turns next. In question 93, the catechist asks, How are these commandments divided? 
and the answer is into two parts. The first teaches us how to live in relation to God. The second, what duties we owe our neighbour. So the two so-called tables of the law are how we relate to God and how we relate to our neighbours. So, for example, how we relate to God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make images or idols. You won't take the name of the Lord in vain. You will keep the Sabbath day. You will honour it and keep it holy unto the Lord. And how do we relate to our neighbours? We, we, we will honour our parents. We will not kill people. We will not commit adultery. We will not steal. We will not tell lies about people. We will not be jealous of what other people have. Later Jesus summarised these two tables of the law. In Matthew chapter 22 verse 34 to 40, a lawyer, a man whose job it was to understand and apply the law among the Jews, asked Jesus a question. He said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now Jesus summed up these two tables of the law with this simple formula. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So we've taken our first look at the law. We've learned a wee bit about its structure and its purpose. And in our next Catechism class, we'll move to look at the first commandment and to the Catechist question, what does the Lord require in the first commandment? Goodbye, God bless you, and enjoy living the Christian life in the knowledge that one day we shall meet the Lord, our Saviour, face to face. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.